We're in McShane Bible Study, and we are in day 57. However, um, we're also in 58 and 50. Yeah, we're, we're, we have a little vacation coming up, so we're going to start trying to do a couple of chapters extra each day to get ahead. So today we did Exodus 9 through 11, which is the rest of the plagues up until the last plague of, well, at least... Um, Moses telling Pharaoh that the firstborn are going to be killed. And so just basically one thing stood out to me throughout these three chapters, and that is, because I think we talked recently about judgment of God. Um, you can see here a picture of what the judgment of God looks like. There's a blessing of God for his remnant people. His people are not touched by the plagues. Uh-huh. His people are, are set apart and provided for. His people are blessed when he, uh, even in right before they come out, the, the jewels of their neighbors are coming out with them, right? Mm-hmm. And so God is transitioning from an old thing to a new thing. He's judging the old system. We, we talked about the... Pharaoh kind of being like a picture of Satan, or but you know, this Egypt is always in the scripture a picture of the world, and he, and of course he's the ruler of the world. But you see God being above that, superior to any power that He created, and saying, "These are my remnant people, and now I'm going to pull them out of this system, and I'm going to bless them while I'm simultaneously." judging the world. So when we see great difficulties going around in the world, um, to, the, to the degree to which we are still a part of the world, there are great difficulties for us. But the but if, if and when we are fully separated, and he uses these things to help us realize that we need to separate from the ways of the world, we need to join into his kingdom culture, his family life, the wisdom that he offers us. And as we do that, then um, we enter into his blessing. And so that's, that's what we see here for the people of Israel, and that's what God is doing in our day. And now I'm just going to point out a couple things in Luke 2, 12 through 14 that stood out. The first one is not having fears or anxiety. That's a lot of what chapter 12 is about. He said, trust the Lord. He takes care of you. Doesn't he take care of the birds and the flowers in the field? Why do you think he will not take care of you? That's a strong pull of Satan to get us to fear things mm-hmm. other than God. We're supposed to fear God and God alone. So if we get afraid of anything else happening to us, mm-hmm. then we're actually worshiping Satan. We're not in our mind thinking that, but we're, uh, Romans 8 says the spirit of fear is the opposite of the spirit of sonship. Mm-hmm. And so, when we're fearing anything in this world, mm-hmm. we're worshiping Satan instead of. And mm-hmm. now, in our minds, Satan will always give us good reasons why we should be afraid. So, if we're being led by a spirit of fear, we will have lots of reasons why we can say that that is a correct. It's perfectly logical. Now, we might be someone else. I had a conversation with somebody recently like this, and she 
was um, just absolutely convinced that there's every logic. She could make good arguments. But the reality was there, there's a spirit of fear leading it. And it all comes down to, do you trust God? Do you put your faith in God or not? Now, that doesn't mean we can do random things that are ridiculous. Like, I'm not going to jump off uh, the Empire State Building and say, well, I don't fear falling because I'm God's. Right? That would be ridiculous. But if somebody pushed me off of it, am I going to fear that? Or am I going to bless the Lord? You see the difference? Mm Mm-hmm. Jumping into something foolish is not just not fearing, it's foolishness. Mm -hmm. However, when things happen to us in life and we decide to take up a heart and a mind of fear, we are allowing evil to rule us. He says in 29, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Just fear not, the Lord will provide. Look to him. What is he doing? And then uh, later, uh, Jesus was telling a parable about being ready, being aware of the times, be, be ready for the Lord. And Peter says, are you telling this parable for us or them? He doesn't give him a direct answer. In 42, he says, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So his answer is, and the answer for Peter would be yes, although uh, Judas was there, the answer for him is no, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus is saying, you're blessed if you walk in this blessing, in this life, being obedient to me. So, yes, as long as you continue in this way, you will be blessed. You will receive all these blessings. But it's a life that you're called to live, not just a religion that you took hold of and and now you can go on to a worldly way. In 13, he's talking about, he gives examples about explaining what is the kingdom of God. He says, what should I compare it to? It's like a tiny little mustard seed that grows into the one of the tallest plants, mm-hmm. or trees. It's like a tiny bit of leaven. We have some of that working right now downstairs that works into the whole dough. When I start working with the dough in the morning, mm-hmm. I was up early this morning, <coughs> like 3 o'clock, I start working. It's just a mess, and it, when I get done working with it, it's on my hands every bit as much as it is in the dough. But then I let it sit, and then I come back, and I work with it again, And each time I come back, it gets on my hands less and less. The dough transforms into this new thing. Well, we are to be transformed by this kingdom so that there's less and less of the world in our fleshly life, our old dead life, Mm -hmm. and more and more of his life in us. But he says, you know, he's trying to say, who can be saved, Lord? And Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow door For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Well, that's a little different than the normal Christian message, right? That you just, you hear normally in churches. Well, just say that Jesus is in your heart and you can enter the kingdom, right? That's kind of the thinking. No, well, I do believe that that's salvation for after we die. But that's not what Jesus came to teach. 
He's teaching about entering into his father's kingdom, returning to the Garden of Eden in this life. But he says many are going to try to enter, but they will not be able to. The master has shut the door. And so that should get our attention and say, well, should we maybe maybe kind of pay attention, focus on this, maybe strive to enter that door? And he says, people will bang at the door saying, Master, let me in. He'll say, I, I didn't know you. He said, well, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. So he says, we, were, we, we thought we were living a Christian lifestyle. He said, I never knew you. You were not living in this life. And many of these will be thrown out, but behold, many others will be brought in. Verse 30, and behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. And then in chapter 14, what did I highlight? Um, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first, oh, so he's, he's saying to them, he, another parable, the master or a great king inviting people to a banquet. And he, he said, come, everything's ready. Come to this wonderful banquet I've, I've uh, prepared. But they all made excuses. What's the saint? That's the kingdom. God is saying, come in. And you're saying, yes, yes, I want, all these family, people are saying Yes. They want to come in, right? Mm-hmm. But he's. But they say, but i got to do this. So how do we do that in our life? We say, yes, yes, God, I want your kingdom. But I don't, I don't want to actually have to read your Bible every day. I don't want to actually have to pray every day. I don't want to actually have to, you know, live my life with you every day. I just want the benefits without actually giving you my life. Uh-huh. You see how that's the same thing? He's saying in the... He's saying, these people will be thrown out and not allowed in. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people. He said, they will be, there will be people that are hungry to come in. They will be the ones coming in. So this is a harsh message Jesus is teaching. And then people said, well, if, you know, he, he, well, he goes on to the people. He says, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Do you think he really wants us to hate our parents? No. Or our brother or sister? No. So what does he mean by that? Yeah, he says nothing. Now, a proper family in the kingdom should be, the way we're raising you guys, to be a family of and for and through Christ and his kingdom, right? But he says, if, if, if say, for instance, you, you had parents that weren't of that, they cannot come before me and my kingdom, Right? Mm-hmm. If if you had a, uh, you know, nothing comes before Christ in his kingdom. Uh-huh. He, and he, this is a man who rebuked the Pharisees for, mm-hmm. um, for uh, taking away, c- c- teaching people to not give them the, their money to their parents, instead give it to the Pharisees. He rebuked them for not honoring, for teaching people not to honor their father and mother, right? He cares deeply about family, and the culture cared deeply about physical family. But he says there's nothing more important in the kingdom. You must bear your own cross and come after me if you want to be my disciple. 
A disciple is one who's taught up in the ways of the master to become like the master. He says, if you want to enter this kingdom, if you want to be a mature son of God, you have to choose me no matter what the cost. 33, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's a strong word, right? This is Jesus speaking. We have to renounce everything and choose him if we want to be his disciple. It's pretty powerful, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Weston just made a good point that um, he's got bitterness in his heart, and yet he's calling himself... He's, he's basically saying the bitterness has only become because of this difficulty that's come on him, but otherwise he was righteous. What God is actually showing him, if he's, if he's paying attention, is that the, the root for bitterness was always there, Right? If it wasn't, it wouldn't have come out in this time. And and I'm, you know, I, I can't say if I went through what he did that I wouldn't be bitter too. But the bitterness is not of God. It's not fearing God, as we just talked about. It's it's uh, fearing things other than God, even things such precious as children, right? Okay, and that, and that, so that was Job 27, and then let's do 1 Corinthians 13. So this is called the love chapter, and it's real short. Um, He starts out by saying, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, so that's speaking in tongues, right? But if I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So he says, "If, if what I'm doing is not in love, it's just a bunch of noise. If I have a prophetic powers, it means you're able to speak mysteries of God, either maybe things to come or just deep understanding from the Lord and understand all mysteries and knowledge. And if I have all faith to, you know, to move mountains, to, to come into deep things, but I don't have love, he says, this is nothing. Who cares about these incredible miracles without love? He says, and we were just talking about this, so this is a great, great addition to what we were talking about earlier. Three, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So he's saying, even if we kind of do what we just talked about, giving up everything to God, picking, you know, for picking up our cross and following Jesus, but we do it out of a worldly kind of mm-hmm. fleshly thing. Like you can gear yourself up to sacrifice yourself, right? You can do that in the flesh. People in the armies of all over the world do that all the time. They just say, this cause is worth fighting for. I'm going to go to the death. Even if, you know, usually they don't want to die, but they just realize in this battle, I'm probably going to die. Well, let's just do it. Right? Mm -hmm. People can gear up for that in the flesh. So Paul's saying, even if you give yourself and you say you're doing it for the gospel, for the kingdom, but you're just doing it in the flesh, you're not rooted in the love of God, then it's for nothing. And he explains, love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, doesn't boast, um, bears all things. And he says, love never ends. He says, in this life we need prophecies because we don't have the fullness of God yet. We need knowledge of God because we don't have that full knowledge. He said, all that will pass away. And we will have complete knowledge of God. Mm -hmm. We won't have need for prophecies or further knowledge. He says, but love is never going going to pass away. It is deeper. It is a root 
energy, power of God throughout all creation and all that he is. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. He's talking, he says, when I'm a man, I speak like a man. He says, it's in the same way in our spiritual life. When we're young in the Lord, we're like a baby. When, as we grow more and more, we become more and more aware of him and his ways. And he's saying, he wraps it up by saying 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide. So he said all three of these things are essential. You have to have faith. Mm-hmm. You have to have hope. So you have to believe in the Lord. You have to have hope that this belief is for good, right? Mm-hmm. It's something worthy of seeking. And the faith, the belief that he's going to bring this about. And then love, the un, that we have love rooted in us. That God's love, not as the world loves. A lot of people like to use the word love. And they use it to mean just let the person you're loving do whatever they want to do. No, God actually has a right way that he wants us to live in. So loving someone is helping them live in that right way. And and loving them in the way that is best. That doesn't mean we can necessarily control strangers. But loving them in the best way possible to help them to grow up in that way. Right? That's true love. There's no letter, greater love than this than to lay down one's life for another, right? Mm-hmm. And so he says the greatest of these, faith, hope, and love, is love. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right, well, that we're going to wrap that up today, and we'll have probably kind of weird selections of <laughs> chapters for the next couple of weeks. But uh, that's it for today. God bless you. God bless you.